Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. Myself, Roy Shanahan, Neil Dobbs from BigKickoff.com and as always, Mr. David Bugle. Now, we've had a huge weekend of football. We're nearly at the end of it. And Neil, we'll start with you. Leicester win the FA Cup for the first time in their history. It wasn't exactly a final that you're going to write home about, but still a memorable one nonetheless. Yeah, do you know what? It's it's been a brilliant weekend for football in general. That's two brilliant moments that I've seen on the TV. Uh, one of which was obviously Leicester with fans in the stadium getting to see their team win the t- uh, win the FA Cup. Absolutely fantastic. But I saw some of the players' reactions after the game. Casper Schmeichel really, really spoke highly and well of himself. They involved the owner. They had that whole kind of loss and tragedy built in. Um, Brendan Rogers, who's I think done an absolutely fantastic job this season and in previous seasons kind of maybe got his just reward out of the game and um, the game itself was a little bit kind of cagey from a Leicester perspective and um, I guess they scored and they kind of just went right come at us and let's see what you can do uh, they did a bar decision that went their way in the last few minutes so it kind of had it all but uh, it really kind of gave you a feel good factor watching a team like Leicester uh, win such a, a an important trophy for them and their, their fans in particular. Yeah Dave, uh, what a goal to win it. It's reminding me of Di Matteo. Remember, he scored in the first minute. It wasn't something yeah. too dissimilar, except uh, this one was clean straight in top corner. A uh, lovely clean strike. Obviously, there was a bit of controversy about the handball, but I think we'd all be fairly in agreement that like, it, felt, it came off his leg onto his arm. I wouldn't be overly harsh yeah. on it. But as soon as they, they won the ball back, Taylor went to screaming. Like he knew he had that little pocket of space, took the touch and just nice clean strike. And as soon as it left the spot, everyone would have fancied it. And once it hit the top corner, and then obviously you see Lineker's reaction. But uh, now a great goal to win the cup final. And um, in fairness, when they showed a lot of his uh, touches and passing uh, after the game, it really showed like he was one of the better players for Leicester. Um, but yeah, just uh, yeah, that schoolboy stuff, you know, from that distance, brilliant goal. Jamie Vardy epitomises the whole team, Neil. Never stops working at the front. Even if stuff doesn't come his way, he's trying to make something for himself. And the rest of the team work off that. Yeah, and to be fair to Jamie Vardy, this is probably the first season he's had in in, in quite a few years where he hasn't been scoring the amount of goals that he always used to. Uh, Iniacho has come in there now and has given him a dig. It's kind of he's he's handing over almost a torch to to the new up-and-coming star in many ways. But uh, Jamie Vardy has never dropped his work rate. He doesn't sulk. Uh, I think his assist this season has been actually quite healthy as well. So it's not like he's not contributing. He never moans. He gets on the pitch and he's real high octane. He's in your face. He's chasing you down. Um, for any successful side now in the Premier League, you have to have that type of forward anymore. We don't have them kind of the luxury of a forward that just sits there, scores goals and does nothing else. Um, and Jamie Vardy is absolutely top, top class. And again, it's just a testament to a guy that's come from kind of non-league up through the ranks. And look at where he is now. Absolutely fantastic. Fair play to him. Yeah. Uh, David, as we said a little bit just before we came on air, I was watching a video of the Chelsea fans on uh, the hand phone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Giving it the, the lot, calling out the, the old Chelsea, Chelsea. And 60 seconds later, there well, there's a lot of swearing going on and it's not polite. VAR <laughs> um, really turned things around. It was very dramatic towards the end, wasn't it? Yeah, like, to be honest, Leicester's cheer was almost as loud as the goal that they scored because you know when you quickly look at the very first replay as we said beforehand like you, it looked like there was that little half an inch and as much as the tar break you knew it was going to be given offside so for us at home we kind of knew what was coming obviously the Chelsea fight like Reese James was really giving his socks into the camera and everything and 
unfortunately end up with a bit of egg in the face. But like, look, that, that, that just added to the drama of the day that it was, because obviously for the neutral and the story behind it all, it was it was a fitting end. And um, because, yeah, for most of the game, there was nothing too special about it. But, you know, uh, that bit of drama at the end just just gave it that little bit of something. And obviously on top of the goal. But uh, yeah, heartbreak for Chelsea at the end. But like, no, there's no complaints about it. Like as much as it's a frustrating offside, uh, VAR decision, it's been happening all year. It was consistent. So no no controversy, but you'd be, you'd be sick. Yeah. Neil, uh, I, I suppose you're a bit of a Terminator. I've never seen a tear come down your, your eye there. Did one even try to shed near the end when uh, the owner came onto the pitch? And it just felt like a moment that everyone really wanted to be part of. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the inside story of Leicester is a brilliant one. They have owners that really heavily invest in the club, and not just the club, the whole infrastructure, the whole area they live. It really encapsulates how it felt. And, the, you know, I don't know if you've seen it yesterday, interviewed fans going to the stadium and how much, how special it was for them to be there. Um, and you kind of got swept along with that journey with them. And, you know, it, it reminded me of watching that kind of Sunderland documentary on, on the Netflix where you're watching Sunderland and you can feel it in your own heart. You want them to do well. Um, and to see them come out on the other end, celebrate with the owner. Like, let's be honest, how many owners would walk in a field at the end of a, a season or a success story like that and actually be, you know, warned by the crowd? There's actually not that many. I guarantee it's not the Glaziers and it's not Cronky. So, uh, you know, it was brilliant to see. And just as I say, the, the players all embraced, you know, the whole scenario of it. And as I said, Casper Michael thought really, really spoke brilliantly. He's a smashing game as well. So it kind of... It just felt right at the time. Um, and probably the, if you look at Chelsea, I'm not saying they're the opposite of a Leicester, but they're a very kind of a cold calculating machine rather than that kind of feel-good family club that Leicester seemed to be. Yeah. We just speak on Chelsea, Dave, because they just didn't show up, did they? I mean, in the first half, they, they were pressing forward, uh, but there wasn't that kind of class about them that we've seen in, in recent weeks. No. and. Um... You know, I'm not going to defend the guy here, but obviously Timo Werner's got a lot of attention this year and is he or isn't he as good as he is? But I noticed he was kind of where he should be last yesterday and he was busy, but I found him very isolated a lot. Like when he was getting down the the channels and stuff and he was on his own, he's getting behind the, the line. All of a sudden it's like, you're on your own pal. And then all of a sudden, uh, like a lot of, oh, he's not firing today or that was a bad shot. But you're like, there was no one there to lay it off to. And it, I think if he had had better support, I don't think he would have been taking some of the shots that he did. You know, <laughs> Vinny's just getting it in there. Neil. Jack Walker yeah. did it. Don't forget about that one. There you go. I said there's not many. There's not many. <laughs> but no, he's dead right there. But no, I think that was the only thing I noticed. I thought he was very isolated in the first half, um, and a bit more support from what was coming up uh, to counter with him, and they might have got a bit of joy. But other than that, I didn't think they offered a hell of a lot. As much as they owned the ball a little bit for probably the first hour. There was nothing solid, nothing too penetrable. And it was only when Leicester got the goal that obviously they, they started to pull a few more bits out of the bag. But yeah, definitely, I think that the Werner being on his own, I think, was a big factor. And a lot of people probably give him stick. And I don't think he deserves it for yesterday, now, to be honest. Yeah. Neil, one thing that really bothers me about the FA Cup is the placement of it. It's smack bang in the, in, in the middle of the last couple of weeks of games. It, it's kind of just put in there as another game and it, it really should be the last game of the season, the showcase. The FA, there, there's a lot of talk about the FA Cup, it's dying and all, but I mean, the FA seem to be doing their best to try and kill it. 
Yeah, um, look, it, it comes by level of importance and obviously it doesn't carry the same kind of weight that it used to years ago. Um, but you're dead right. It should be a showcase finale to the season. You finish out your league and you have whatever it is, seven to nine days to prepare, make sure the teams are right. Because it is a massive, massive day in the calendar. Like if you're going to an FA Cup final, you know, you know this is part of something special. The heritage behind the FA Cup is phenomenal. Like it's one of the oldest running cups in the world. It should be treated like that. But instead, it's just fallen down the pecking order ever, ever so slightly. And the FA don't seem to, I don't want to say they don't want to prioritise it. Obviously they do, but they seem to have sold out a little bit when they're bringing it in before the season ends. And the other side of that is as well, is it's after putting massive pressure on Chelsea and Leicester, for example, where they should have been able to see out the league status because they haven't qualified yet for the Champions League. It's putting massive pressure on them uh, to have a cup final and then the highs and lows of that. And then to get into a match now, which they play each other, what was it, on Tuesday or Wednesday this week. So I don't think they've done any favours by the scheduling of it this season, definitely. No, I'm sure Vinny's going to text in and let us know Blackburn won it in 1895 or 1923 or whenever they won. <laughs> uh, do let us know, Vin. OK, a big game today for Liverpool against West Brom, Dave. And an unlikely goal scorer. I think the first goal scorer, uh, a goalkeeping goal scorer for Liverpool in their entire history. Alisson pops up, very last, it's going to say kick of the game, but header of the game, to snap it from, I suppose, no one really thought that this was going to happen at this stage, did they? I was done, and like they had a couple of corners throughout the whole game, and I kind of noticed it during the game, and Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, but more Nat Phillips, he's a big guy, but I don't even think he's ever won a header uh, for a corner all season, as much as he loves to win headers, and I was watching corner after corner going, they're not even getting close to them or maybe he's just missing them or whatever. And ironically, he probably just missed it by an inch or two in front of Alisson. But Alisson guided like, Jesus, if it was a Bobby or a Sadio Mane or Mosa, we'd be all waxing lyrics, guided in lovely into the far post. But look, uh, take your allegiance aside, it's always fun and it's always a laugh when you see a goalkeeper score because the, the team go nuts, he goes nuts. But obviously, with everything that's he, that's happened to him over the last month, with the tragedy of his dad and stuff, and you've seen the emotion afterwards, and you can see even the likes of uh, Sam Johnson coming up afterwards, um, you know, especially with Leicester and all. Yes, like there's two great new stories, um, which is good to see in the game, con considering what's happened over the last few weeks and how much footballs took a beat. And it's great when you see stuff like that. But yeah, like Liverpool are done and dusted in the Champions League last minute, and of all the people, Allison, you just it's fairly like typical Jimmy Gray's funny old game. You just don't explain it. It's just bonkers, and you just you just revel in it and just enjoy the buzz of it. Yeah, uh, Vinny's playing back on to us. The only team to win it three times in the world: <laughs> 1884, 85, and 86. Vinny, I knew you. I knew you'd get us there. Good man, got us over the line. Massive uh, club. Deal. It, the game in a whole. What did you make of Liverpool's performance, and what you make of West uh, Brom's performance? Um, do you know exactly the type of game I thought uh, it was going to be? Um, Liverpool, look, Sam Allardyce came out after the game and as ingracious as in defeat as ever, but he did hit the nail on the head and he, he said it quite rawly. It was, we know they're not very good with balls in behind, so we tried to give them trouble with that. We didn't play out from the goal because they're the best pressing side in the league. Why would we do that? We're not stupid and we play to air strengths. And you know what? You actually can't argue that because from minute one, when West Brom tipped off, they had five men at the bottom of the screen and I said to my young lad, watch this, they're going to launch a ball in at Robertson and they're going to try to kill him. And that's exactly what they did. So West Brom, look, and Jurgen Klopp doesn't hide away from the fact there's a different way of playing football and there's different ways of winning. If the same team won playing the same style all the time, 
you know, it would be a boring game to watch. So, look, on one hand, fair play to West Brom and the way they play. But to be fair to them today, they created an awful lot out of a long ball, a player holding the ball up, bullying the centre-halves, and they really bullied the Liverpool two centre-halves at times today. And um, they just didn't kind of get their reward in the end of that, which I'm obviously glad about. Um, and it was a tough, well. tough, yeah, and they were robbed probably for the goal as well. But that aside, I think Liverpool stuck to the task. I don't think they panicked. They had a lot of possession. They weren't kind of launching balls in. If you look at the last time we played West Brom in around the Christmas period, I think Liverpool had something crazy like 70 crosses or something mad like that. But we never got on the end of it or never looked like it. Whereas this time, they kept trying to do the right things, find little paths, little triangles around the box. Um, now, it didn't pay off, but they did create... Liverpool created two or three really, really good chances that they might have taken themselves. So all in all, the game I expected. Um, and if they had it drawn, you would have just held your hand up and go, look, it wasn't their day. Both teams, I thought, gave everything. But you need that little bit of luck in football, don't you? And there it was. Yeah. Dave, you, you mentioned it there. The goal that disallowed, I felt that they were very hard done by. Um, I'll go into that after you. You seem to think the same way, which I didn't think. Well, the first goal as well, Roy, Liverpool got free free kick that they took real quick. I know there was three or four different instances before the goal, but let's be honest, Liverpool wouldn't have got that goal if they hadn't got that phantom free kick as well. So for both, I'd be hard done by. But definitely the, the second goal, um, there, there was a flick on and then, was it Barkley? Barkley, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Barkley kind of got in the header. He was onside, but Matt Phillips was in front of Alisson, but there was a, it was like a good two-yard gap but I think they went the whole oh, eye line of the goalkeeper kind of way. So he wasn't right on top of his toes. I think I think it was at least two yards, maybe a bit more. I'd feel aggrieved if it was the other way around. I wouldn't be yeah. too happy. I'd, I'd be moaning about it right now. Um, so I kind of have to kind of say we got out, we got out of jail. And then obviously the Allison goal. But like we, we, I think we got out of jail for both goals. Definitely the second one. But the first one I thought was almost as bad. Like it was just yeah. he kind of stumbled after he hit the ref, and the ref just panicked and blew the whistle and <laughs> quick free kick, and there you go. You know, nuts. But uh, yeah, no, I think Allardyce is right to feel aggrieved without a shadow of a doubt. He could could have and should have got something out of the game without a doubt. Yeah, I I kind of understood why they they didn't give it at first. I was going, oh well, he's in his eye line. But the more I thought about it. Quickly after it, the more I thought about it, he was about two and a half, maybe three, two and a half yeah. yards away. But also, the jumper would have been about a foot over that player as well. So we would have seen, he would have seen the height difference and getting up. Yeah. So we would have known generally where it was. It wasn't a direct header on goal. And it was out wide where Bartley stuck it in the far corner. So there was no guarantees at all that, that uh, Alison Neal was going to get that ball. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what we all thought watching it. So obviously when I seen there was a, um, a VAR decision, I thought it was offside. And then the, the initial replay showed he's well, well onside. And then when I saw him standing in front, I thought that's it, it's gone, forget about it. Um, when they did a very good angle from behind Alisson where it did show the initial header that was won was in front of Phillips, as in they were kind of in line. But as you said, it was probably higher at an angle where you could still see it. So I think they based it off the original header that was one that he was in the eye line. Um, but as Dave said, I mean, if that went against us, I'd be furious, absolutely furious. Mm. Um, and to get away with one like that, oh, it, it's so, so good for Liverpool. But uh, very fortunate, very, very lucky. Yeah. Very disappointed in you both agreeing with me there. I was ready for that one. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Dave, in all fairness, we've asked about Liverpool. 
They had to go and win games. They've done that against West Brom, albeit scraping through. Again, they, they beat United on Thursday night. And what did you make of them against United? Um, played very well against United, but if I'll be brutally honest, United played into Liverpool's hands. Um, I think they licked their lips when they seen the two boys in the middle of the part in the middle of defence and thought what we have is enough. And it was the most open I've ever seen in Ali Solskjaer's side against Liverpool. Um, so they were very open, left us a lot of room to counterattack. But then not only that, as Neil said earlier on, because uh, Sam Allardyce knows it, but for some reason Ollie doesn't. When I seen both centre-halves either side of the keeper, I went, you're playing with fire here, boys. And the Firmino goal, um, twice they had a chance to get it out and twice they were swallowed up. Um, so as good as Liverpool were for, say, from the half an hour mark to, say, 60, 65 minutes, it, I think it was more United played into our hands and f- very foolishly. Yeah. Neil, you talked about Fernandes, well, Roy Keane talked about Fernandes crying around the pitch. I, I've, I felt a little bit sorry for him because he did get a few studs down the, the back of the, the Achilles and on top of his toe and stuff like that. But he does tend to do that anyhow. So I think it's kind of... Uh, you know, it's happened before and uh, no one really feels sorry for you now at this stage. Uh, but it, it's not just Fernandes. It's it's coming into the game far too much. And at this stage now, it's something that needs to be stamped out because I, there, was, there was another time, and again, this is not picking on one per- person, but it just comes into my head. Carvani went in for a tackle. He tripped Thiago over and Thiago started rolling around as if he was cut in half. And but this has happened. Like we could look at the game today, the FA Cup yesterday. Game. It's happening yeah. every game now. And for me, it's a form of cheating now. And they're not stamping it out, and they're allowing it to happen that people are getting booked because people are rolling around the pitch. Is this something that you think is it needs to be addressed, or are you fine with that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I, I tell you what it is. It's it's the combination of getting fouled or or getting clipped. Uh, the big scream and you can hear the screams now because there's no crowd and I know match of the day kind of took the piss out of uh, Lacazette there when he was probably the loudest decibel they've ever heard of a scream it was absolutely madness but Fernandez scream could be heard I'd say my neighbour heard it through the TV it was that loud like it was madness Um, and it's just rolling around and then play acting which do you know what it is look with the Fernandez thing it wasn't this whole thing with a head injury what kind of injury is it it's happening in every game where the guy goes down grabs his foot rolls around Tiago did it as you said as well they call it gamesmanship I imagine because as they say the foreigners bring this into the game but it's everywhere now it's absolutely everywhere and it does spoil the game because guys are getting you know a yellow card very very cheaply and the players are absolutely again if you want to call it gamesmanship or you want to call it gamesmanship slash cheating a a yellow card out with somebody it's it's bad form and and it's just what happens is then it encourages the referee to give a card, possibly to give a second card. And as a spectacle, you know, if you're looking, you're looking at your kids, like I have a 10 year old watching these games. I don't want him out on a Saturday morning getting a clip and then lying down and roaring his head off and rolling six, seven times. So it's sending out the wrong message of how the game should be played. And in my form of gamesmanship is to play a fair, play a hard, but get on with the game at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's, it's not pleasing on the eye to see but it's much, much more common this year. Yeah. If you want to send any comments in or any topics or want to start a debate, don't forget to send in your comments there now. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Okay. Uh, Dave, on United, Neil wrote a skating uh, a skating attack on Manchester United about uh, putting out their B side or, or secondary side or weaker side, whatever 
uh, term people have been putting on it. There has been a lot of talk about it, but the, the game schedule, you could see that that would be the exact same thing that any other team would do with, I suppose, three games in five days. It's very hard to play those games. And uh, there, there's no really other way that they could have done it, is there? Um, there's as many backroom staff now, practically, as there is players. And... I, some of them should justify their position and they could have sat in the office with them and said here's the four or five of our spine that can play Tuesday and maybe even Thursday like to complete overhaul of the outfield probably it mightn't have been necessary but they put all their eggs in one basket and that was for the Liverpool game and it blew up in their face that they lost both of them so it's easy to sit here now and kind of judge them a little bit but nowadays as I said, with all these strength and conditioning people and these sports scientists, they could have easily looked at it and said, right, we need three points somewhere, but they took a gamble. They wanted to probably hobble Liverpool a little bit as well. And I think that's why they played the way they did. I think rest the lads, let's give it a go on Thursday and put them back in their place and we can kind of lower it over them a little bit. But I've no problem. I I think everyone and their mother knew they were going to make all their, well, maybe not quite as many, but we all knew they were going to make the change on Tuesday. They had no choice. But at the same time, did they have to make a whole 10? Maybe not. Um, as I said, there's some fifth, fifth boys there. Some lads are only back. There's easily, as I said, these people are getting paid a hell of a lot of money. And half of them, in my, in my opinion, I think half of them that are in every staff are probably bluffers and just trying to coast when they could have been saying who could and couldn't play and who could play both games, who could play all three. You never know. Some people, everyone's made differently. But, you know, it's easy to kind of criticise now after they've lost the two games where they were shadowed out. But they could have easily lost both, both of them regardless. But, you know, I suppose in a weird way as well, and this has got nothing to do with it, but it just goes to show you the Liverpool game was bigger because at the end of the day, the fans were nowhere to be seen on the Tuesday night as well. So, obviously, the, the manager and the players got sucked into that as well. You know, but uh, as that regards, was always going to be the case, Dave. Yeah. That's just that's the nature of the game. I couldn't see it being any different if it was it, vice versa. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could, but you know, if they're that adamant about it, they should be out every game. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, all these protests are nonsense because what happens is when the fans, when Old Trafford's back open again, that's the ultimate way you protest. You don't, you don't bother going in, or any fans for that matter don't go in. Acting the maggot outside, I think, is, is useless. There's only one way, and that's in the pocket. Don't buy your ticket and don't go into the game, you know? So wave your green and yellow flags all you want. Just don't bring them into the ground. Don't go into the bloody thing. But, uh, yeah, it's easy to, to sit here and give out about United um, and criticise United for all the wholesale changes. Like, as uh, listen, Klopp said it. He says, uh, I'd have made 11, not 10. So who are we to judge, you know? Neil, it was four games in the week that had the Europa League game the week the Thursday before. So it is a lot of games. They put out a team that's worth nearly two hundred million. So it's not as if this is your under nineteen team or under sixteen team. It's a team that players would fit into any other probably Premiership ship eleven. Uh, at the weekend or just before that, Chelsea and Man City played each other. Man City put a B team out. Uh, got beaten and no one mentioned a word. So is this just really this sort of niggling between Manchester United and Liverpool and just showing how much they really do dislike each other? Yeah, and I, I think that's it in a nutshell. And you see, don't forget, Solskjaer is not stupid either, right? This is a That was a brilliant, brilliant way for him to get the fans on side and to really kind of drill at home that. I mean, he came out and said it himself. I have to set my team up for the most important game. And the most important game to him 
was Manchester Liverpool's, right? So the only tingling thing that kind of niggled me a little bit was he did know pre the Villa game that this fixture was rearranged. Maybe he could have rested a couple on that day, a couple on the Tuesday, a couple on Thursday. Because if Man United were neck and neck with Man City and they literally couldn't afford to lose points, number one, I do agree, it would have been scandalous that they had to go through that kind of fixture congestion. But they would have found a way to make it more competitive and definitely not hand the points to Leicester because that's effectively what they did. Um, what I will say is it also highlighted the fact that the Manchester United B team is nowhere near the quality that it needs to be. And especially when, and that's epitomised when you look at what Chelsea can do and what Man City can do. Um, but I will say Pep has been doing that with his B team, transferring them in and out for a couple of weeks now. So they're a little bit more game ready. Whereas Juan Mata, for example, was on the pitch and Donny van der Beek. And I mean, they contributed absolutely nothing in the game. They're just not match fit. They're not ready. So I'm not saying I fully blame Solskjaer or I would, wouldn't sympathise with him. I understand it was a nightmare and that was inflicted on them. But I think he could have made it as a PR exercise look like, you know, we're trying our best here and we're trying to... I mean, he effectively handed the title to City. And I don't know, are you OK with that? Was it already a foregone conclusion? It just didn't sit well, I don't think, with me overall that you've handed your neighbours the title with. I, I think know. I think if you're a Manchester United fan, the league was already won. There's a whole lot of dislike to Liverpool and their yeah, fans. Yeah. And I don't think anyone sees that wrong with the club. And Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is a Manchester United fan, true and true. Yeah. So it's shone true. So I don't think there's any hiding from that. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, I do think that. But it's not the case that if it was a one-off game, they were playing on the Sunday, and then they were playing on the Thursday, and he rested all yeah. those players. I think it's that would be. I think that would be seen as unfair and unsportsmanship. Like, I think there's a little bit of a leeway here because they have a they have a Europa League. Manchester United aren't winning trophies. They've got to think about the squad. They don't want them getting injured yeah. in that game. The Fernandez and Rashford come on. It was one all. They're going. They're looking to go on and try and win the game. And then they let it slip with that corner kick, bringing someone on. So I, I think if Man United go on to win the game, people say, oh, well, they did enough to win the game. Uh, but I think everything that you're probably saying, bar they should have done it, uh, I think the reasons why they didn't do it are apparent for everyone. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, it's just going to make the rivalry even better next year. So. Definitely will, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave, Manchester City, three and four, or three trophies in four years, Premier League champions. This team are just unbelievable. Where is Pep Guardiola going to rank in the Premier League greats? And uh, Alex Ferguson's always been seen as being up there as the top manager. Is Pep going to pip him? Uh, if he sticks around for 10, 10 more years, maybe, yeah. Because the numbers game, everyone, like what's his face? Neville always goes on about the numbers lately. He he won't let that go. He'll always say Ferguson unless uh, Pep beats the numbers. And that's the way a lot of people will do it. Listen, there's no denying he's, he's up there probably as number two regardless of, of the rankings. Like it's constant. Uh, every week there's a there's a clickbait site going, who's this person the best now? Is this person the best now? It's just never ended. But I will say, yeah, he's the best of the rest without a shadow of a doubt. But he's another bit to go on Alex Ferguson. But what he's done in a short fa fa space of time there, five years, three league titles, all the, it, I think it's what, four league cups in a row, couple of FA Cups. The icing on the cake obviously could happen in a week's time or two weeks in a bit time. If he does, um, that'll solidify number two spot for me without a shadow of a doubt. But 
yeah, I'm 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 not gonna put him uh, on the on the exact same perch as Fergie Fergie just yet. But his style of play, I would definitely put him out there on his own. It's 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 a joy to watch. I I just love the even this year the way he's putting fullbacks when they're attacking, like tucking in a little bit and playing in the midfield. The movement off the ball, like you, you we were talking about, you were talking about Liverpool earlier on, Neil. Yeah, they own the ball, but if you watch the kind of the screen, you don't watch the ball. The red is moving very slowly, and they're not trying to break the line. While you watch the sky blue, they're everywhere, and the overlap. They're trying to break that line constant. It's fascinating how they do. It's almost basketball, like the way they they know teams are going to sit back and just do that. And City have been there and done that, and Liverpool haven't learned yet the, how to master that. And uh, you know, City, if they win the next two games, they'll have eighty nine points, considering the year. That's been in it. That's seriously impressive. It's almost as impressive as the ninety odds, in my opinion, to be honest. Um, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, James and Vinny obviously have their issues. Um, you know, there's another rivalry. Vinny don't, Vinny, don't even reply back. I'm not even going to put it up. Uh, all the, all the questions there, James. <laughs> um, Neil, Man- Manchester City. How can they get better? I mean, it's very hard for that squad to get better, but they may have to replace a couple of players. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a continuous improvement with City. You know what I mean? They've two players for every position, and um, they've two almost world class players for every position. Like they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, it will be interesting, however, if a they don't win the Champions League, will they feel then that they need to change something or improve something in order to achieve that? And then b if they do win the Champions League, does Pep kind of go, no, this is the way I'm going to play from now on? Like we've never seen in our lifetime a, t- a team go almost a full season without playing a centre forward a number nine. Like it's just phenomenal. And um, he's reinvented how they play. He's gone back when they had that kind of rough patch at the, um, the start of the season. And he's just completely changed. As Dave said there, you've got fullbacks which aren't playing wide, they're playing inside. He's overlapping guys in the wing. It's just it's just impressive that he's found an answer to a problem that I, I don't know if many managers could. How do you play and win games and win a league? And they've won it at a bit of a canter, to be fair, without playing a centre-forward. Like, there's no other manager of the game that would even contemplate not playing a centre-forward. So you got to tip your hat. Where do you go from here? I, I think it dep- uh, depends how they get on in the Champions League final. If they're successful, I think they'll more or less be happy. They might add one or two. I think their age of their squad is pretty decent. Like Fernandinho, maybe Gundogan might be the older guys. Um, but they, they're pretty fresh, other than maybe replace De Bruyne two, three years down the road. But that's way, way off at the moment. So they're definitely out there ahead of everyone else and worryingly so by a long, long way. Yeah. Top four, Dave. West Ham looks like they're out of it yeah. now at this stage. It don't, looks like it's only between the three. The way Spurs have been, you can't see them really winning their couple of games in hand. Even if they do, I don't think it'd be enough. So you've got Leicester and Chelsea who have to play each other. You've got Liverpool who have two games left. Uh, Palace and who's here on Burnley. Uh, Burn- and their games, you think they should win. We've already said we, we, we doubted they'd win all four. Uh, we're probably looking at it now and going, they'll probably win all four. Uh, so does that really mean that it could be... A big game between Leicester and Chelsea that could decide who the other team is. Without a shadow of a doubt, like Leicester, there's a lot of pressure on Leicester. I think, well, at both sides, to be honest, because at least if if Chelsea draw or lose, it's 
it makes it a little bit easier for Liverpool. But if Leicester lose, it puts a lot of pressure on that last game because they can't just afford to win. They have to win by a couple of goals because they're both level on points at the moment. So if Leicester lose, they'll go down a goal. And if Liverpool win by just the one goal and Leicester lose by the one goal, there's a two-goal swing already going into the last game. So they can't just rely on winning uh, by, by, by the one goal against Spurs because it mightn't be enough. So a lot of pressure on them to get something out of the game against Chelsea. But Chelsea, there's a lot of pressure regardless. But I'd be very fair, like... But then again, I'm presuming Liverpool are going to win the two. Uh, I doubted it last week, to be brutally honest. Um, probably because of the United game. Uh, if, if, if truth be told, I'd fancy us to beat Palace and Bordney, even West Brom today. It was more the United game and I was unsure. So I'm not going to completely say, yeah, we're definitely going... Liverpool are definitely going to do it. But they're... I I don't like to count count the chickens or anything like that, but it's just a massive game. Like it, it'll it'll seal somebody's place, and um, it just means it'll be a, a winner takes all then between a Liverpool and one of the two. But uh, do you know? <laughs> the maths, Dave. Ah, uh, Ken, it's in our hands. So I'm on the team. <laughs> all I'm gonna say is there was a great debate yesterday on the WhatsApp group. Uh, Ken put it out that it was in a. Uh, it was in their hands, and one of the other lads went, "No, it's not." And in my head, I'm like, well, "Kind of, kind of is." It kind of, <laughs> but anyway, but uh, it, it's a bit of a the chicken and the egg kind of scenario. But yeah, Liverpool. To be honest, uh, I'm not taking it for granted. But uh, it just goes to show you how big that game is on Tuesday for Leicester or Chelsea. One of them's going to be sorted, and the other one, it's it's squeaky bum time because you expect like providing Liverpool win on Wednesday. You know, I think if they do, you'll fancy them to get the job done in Anfield with a crowd next Sunday. Yeah. Neil, I'm going to combine all three. So you've got Chelsea, who have not been performing well at all. They've lost against Arsenal. They've lost now against in the FA Cup against Leicester. They have Leicester to play to try and get a top four place. And they also have the Champions League coming up. Their form hasn't been as good as it has been in recent weeks. Is this a team now that's starting to bottle it or is just the pressure now is just really getting to them? Yeah, um, like we were so well, I was singing uh, Tuchel's praises the last few weeks because I thought he did an absolutely fantastic job. And at one stage, you're thinking to yourself, top four in the Premier League, uh, a possible FA Cup win and then a possible uh, Champions League win. Like that's some season to finish with. But they seem to be just losing that little bit of an edge at the wrong time. And listen, it's all about pressure and how you deal with pressure. We've seen what happened to them yesterday. They took a massive, massive wobble when that Tielemans goal went in and they never really recovered their momentum after that. Um, losing to Arsenal was a, a terrible uh, result for them. So I think it's literally the Chelsea-Leicester game now has become their biggest game of the season. Forget about the Champions League, put it to one side. Um, for Chelsea not to qualify for the top four, Considering the lead, sorry, the position they were in over the last two to three weeks, I mean that's a real, real bitter blow for them. Um, I think they would. They thought it was sorted. I think there was almost a foregone conclusion because Liverpool were way, way back. So um, I think they can do it, but they're going to have to beat Leicester. And if they don't, I think the wheels are literally going to fall off that completely. Yeah. Champions League final, Dave, City and Chelsea. At the moment, everything would tell you to put all your money on Man City, do a little dance and just collect your money. Is that the way it's going to be? No, Chelsea win. <laughs> it's just the way this season's gone. Yeah, of course, we're all going to... We're Like, look, let's face it, we're all going to pick City. We're all going to fancy it. But, you know, this season's been bonkers. It's a one-off game. 
and I was just in me, in my mind as 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 Neil was talking, like we can all wax lyrical about some of these teams and they're great teams for the first 30 games of the season, but it's about big game mentality when it really matters. Um, there's questions to be asked of this Chelsea side. Mason Mount and all the guys who who they all think are brilliant and they're awesome players, they haven't done it when it really comes to a business end of a season yet. And this is a great learning curve for them. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how they got it in them. City have been there and done it in the sense that this could be a good thing that is an English side um, because it might take a little bit of the pressure off the fact that it's a Champions League game. You can almost trick yourself into being an, another FA Cup or a League Cup final. You can almost play a little mind game with yourself that it's just another domestic cup and it's not that big pressure of the European Cup. I know it's easier said than done. So it might be a good thing for, for City that they're playing an English side in the final in that sense. While if they were playing a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich, you know, you know what you're in for. Um, so yeah, when push comes to shove, I'm going to pick uh, pick City. But um, the, the, this season, it's been a very topsy turvy. Yeah, R- rule out rule out Chelsea apparel. But deep down, I think we all know that we we pick City beforehand, wouldn't we? Well, and I th- I actually think I'd like to see City win it. I know yeah. it's the the, the the throwing the money at, it, but no different than Chelsea, and they haven't won it yet. So it'll probably be good to see them. Uh, a new person on trophy. It doesn't make a difference. They're both uh, run by you know multi-billionaires so it doesn't make much of a difference to me uh, Neil when you look at the Europa League Manchester United are they clear favourites for that Europa League and again it's a final so does that make a damn of a difference um, I'd, I'd tell you one thing that Man United have and it, it kind of translates to Dave's point there the big games the big players come out there's a certain mentality and say for example Real Madrid showed it there for a couple of years in a row where they just man-managed a, a final in particular better than everybody else. Even when Liverpool made it to the final against them, there was no stage of the game where you thought Madrid didn't have their number in that game. And then the following year, Liverpool had that experience. And I think they used that against Spurs. So Man United, um, I'm not saying they've won trophies and they have that experience, but they have players that have a big game mentality. The likes of Pogba, dare I say, still a World Cup winner. He's seen an awful He loves the big lot. stage. He, he'll yeah. show up. 100%. I guarantee you he'll, he could be man of the match probably. He's going to have a good game. Fernandez looks like he's up for it. He'll have a good game. Uh, the only question mark I would say is missing Harry Maguire leaves United that little bit more uh, unpredictable and say in the back. So I don't really know what Villarreal have going forward. But if they were thinking to themselves, we might be in with a show. If Maguire doesn't start, it just adds in an extra little bit of a known, I think. Uh, because definitely United, judging from the Liverpool game, were a little bit at sea. Um, across the centre back pair and um, and and as a back line in, in in full, the four of them just didn't really seem in full sort against Liverpool. So could that happen on a one off? Yes, um, but I definitely fancy United with their kind of bigger game mentality players to see that one through. Yeah, and if you if United need to line up in the, in their strongest manner, and that's not putting Paul Pogba out the left and and Rashford out the right, it's making sure Rashford's out the left, making sure Greenwood's out the right, making yeah. sure Pogba's in the middle with the likes of Fernandez and maybe McTominay in behind. If you're playing Fred, then if you're playing Fred, you're probably going to put more pressure on you than anything else. So yeah, it's a big decision he has to make for that uh, final, and I think yeah. that will be the decision he'll make. It. Just before we go on to the last section that we have, and it kind of links a little bit with Aston Villa, Tammy Abraham's girlfriend has come out and slaughtered Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> about, 
He said, she said, uh, how on earth do you make a decision to leave your top goal scorer of, out of the squad for the cup final? The same person who scored all the goals that actually qualified you for this competition. It's not making any sense to me whatsoever. Does, is Tammy Abraham having a little bit of hard luck? Never mind what his girlfriend says, but he hasn't done too much wrong. And he's, Thomas Tuchel has kept faith in Werner, who hasn't really been doing it. Giroud, who hasn't really been doing it. They haven't had a centre-forward who has really done it for them. And in fairness to Abraham, he's probably the one who scored the most goals over the last year. Dave. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Take that, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I know. In fairness, no, you're right. Like, And obviously, we mentioned him a couple of weeks ago about certain yo-yo clubs coming up and who'll be a great player. But I think it's a, a given now uh, if that is something like that coming out that Mr. Abraham's going to be in a different jersey next week or ne- ne- uh, next season. But I would, I, 100% I'd be agreed. But at the same time, what exactly do we know? Is he being a bit of a lazy shit Monday to Friday at training? You know, Tuchel, I'd say, is a very demanding trainer. And I'd say you put the effort in, you get, you get your just rewards. So, yes, just from what we see on the pitch, I'd say 100% I'd agree to to 100%. Uh, sorry, I'm repeating 100%. I would agree. But at the same time, the bit that we don't know is Monday to Friday. And that's where I put a little bit of trust in the manager that maybe he's not doing what he should be doing while everyone else is. But in saying that, that's, that's the bit where we have to uh, kind of guess um, so I'm in, I'm in the middle, even but in a nice way. I'm not trying to avoid. Uh, I'm not trying to avoid the opinion, but it's 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 the unknown of Monday to Friday. But yeah, purely on the pitch, I I I'd be pissed off. That's for sure. Yeah, Mrs. Abraham obviously hears the bitching when he she gets home <laughs> about Mister Tuchel. Yeah, uh, yep. Liam, the the reason I brought. Aston Villa up was because you, you wanted to talk about Leeds United and praise them for how brilliant they've been this year. Aston Villa are only four points off uh, Leeds, very well could be on par by the end of the season. I think both of them have had a great season uh, coming up. Yeah, I think they've both been brilliant this year. Like, I mean, you look where Villa were last year, the contrasting in form, the contrasting in points, but not even that, the contrasting in their performances this year. They've been absolutely fabulous. And like, I did a kind of a mid-season team of the year there, but not kind of the top stars like your De Bruyne's and stuff. And there's a lot of Villa guys there that were knocking on the door. Um, Grealish, obviously. Um, Tyrone Mings in the back line at all was brilliant. But even their full-backs, Maddie Cash has had a great season. Um, you got to give a lot of credit to the manager, the way he sets them up. Um, they're not quite fully counter-attacking. Um, and even there without Grealish for the last few weeks, um, they've been digging out a couple of results and they've really made it difficult for the teams that they've played. Uh, watching them against Liverpool, against United, they gave a great account of themselves. Um, he plays some nice attacking football. Um, and, you know, you've you got to give credit where it's due. I think they've had a tremendous season. And to be honest with you, if Grealish had stayed fitter for the X amount of games that he missed, they'd probably be higher up in the table. Maybe, possibly not maybe where West Ham are, but definitely where Spurs are. I would fancy them as a better side than Spurs this year and a bit more uh, reliable than the Spurs this year. It's very, very good. Spurs, Spurs, <laughs> Spurs and West Ham have the same points. <laughs> there you go. And, like, incredible when you think about it, isn't it? Um, just you on said these, you see where Spurs are, not West Ham, but they're both yeah. on the same points. Yeah, my joke. That's Villa and and Spurs, Dave. No, Spurs <laughs> and West Ham are on the same points. Yeah, well, there you go. But I, I would imagine they should be there thereabouts because they've had a, a pretty good season. Um, Leeds, on the other hand, I think it's just been brilliant. They play completely different style to everybody else. They play man for man. They play press high. Uh, I, I, I must look at their stats at the end of the season and see what kind of uh, output they've been given in kilometres per game 
are they ahead of everybody else? Because they seem to be when you watch them, they just seem to give 100% in every single game that they play. They play with a kind of a freedom that probably very few teams in the Premier League, maybe City play with, and then Leeds. Even Liverpool are still a little bit more rigid than Leeds are. So again, you've got to give them credit for the way they're playing. Spurs are looking for a manager, Dave. Could Bielsa be someone that Spurs would be interested in? Uh, the rumours are a lot of... I, me, yeah, but them, I would say no. It seems to be a lot of young, up-and-coming. In other words, like um, uh, there was rumours of Green Potter, there's rumours of Ten Hag. There was a rumour of somebody else who completely caught me off guard. And now that somebody who's only recently been sacked, was it Lampard or something? Or I can't remember who it was. But it seems to be very much the same old spores we're not going to give them a war chest make get the few nuggets on the cheap and a bit a bit of an ajax a slightly bigger ajax you know sell them on for more money and kind of, in my opinion um, lack real uh, unambitious stuff again um you know i know you can say something about oh he got Mourinho in but he didn't back him the way you need to back a big manager like that really so it looks like they're going to go down the typical Spurs route, get a, a, an up-and-coming hungry guy, a bit like Pochettino, make the most of what we have, get one or two nuggets in, and then make a few quid on them and sell them on, a bit like what they made on Gareth Bale. That's my opinion from some of the rumours. Um, Bielsa, 100%, put a rocket up all that side, because in fairness to Leeds, Leeds they, 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 they didn't show the league respect, and I mean it in a nice way. They've just gone for it. And that's why they're where they are compared to your Fulham and West Broms who came up. They played the typical, uh, let's stay in the game for 75 minutes and nick a draw or nick a win. Well, you're both going down for that reason because you don't really win a lot of them games. You don't get the draw in a lot of them games. You get the unlucky 1-0 defeats and 2-1 defeats. Well, Leeds went and have just completely ripped up the rule book and gone for it and credit where credit's deserved. But to go back to Spurs, yeah, it looks like they're just going to try and get the next up-and-coming manager either to make a few quid out of them or obviously to get them to start making a few quid out of bringing up some of the younger talent that you have and then bring in some... If they say, for example, Ten Hag, you bring in Ajax, get him a couple of Ajax players. I don't think they'll be getting him, stressed. Dave. He's after signing a new contract, so he's, yeah. he's staying but at Ajax. So. But that's who they're being rumoured to be going after and not mm. kind of... I'm, I'm not saying Guardiola and Klopp and all these guys, but they're not going for that type of manager. Um, they're, they're trying to get something up and coming because that's the way they want their team to be and Spurs are as as what we've said a few times this year it looks like they're going to continue being Spursy yeah um, I don't know if you've heard this one about Derby County's takeover bid uh, Eric Alonso was looking to buy Derby County he put in a bid it was I think it might have been looked like it could have been accepted by Derby County it went to the FA the FA turned it down because he couldn't prove that he had the funds behind him. He was told to go back and, and look to prove that, that he could find him. He then proceeded to go on to TikTok and show him a, a, a view of his uh, penthouse. This is a suite out in the beach somewhere with music playing in the background. It, it, it then turned out, I think he put that up on Twitter, it then turned out that it was someone from TikTok it was their music. It was their uh, place of uh, habitants, not his well. at all. Uh, <laughs> and he quickly, swiftly took that down. And uh, it's been found out that he was 60 million in debt as well. So uh, someone wow. trying to blag themselves in. And it just shows you that there's, there's those blaggers out there. But uh, yeah, 
some cheek on him anyhow, but that's that's how you do it. Uh, I thought you'd get Derby County cheap enough anyhow at the moment. I'll ask you on that one actually, Neil, because Wayne Rooney's gone in there. Derby County have brought Wayne Rooney in to probably change things around. They've changed manager left, right and centre at that club and they're not progressing anywhere at all. No, and they only stayed up, didn't they, the last kick of the game, really. So um, it was looking like, I mean, they, they've had a couple of managers in the last while that have done okay. I mean, let's be honest, to get out of that league, it's an absolute dogfight in that league. So you have to be really, really well-oiled. If you look at Norwich this year, they bounce back up. You know, they have a good system in place, good structure in place. Um, it just seems to be like a bottom, like a black hole, that league almost. You go in there and your setup isn't right and the whole structure of your club isn't ran right. And look, you could be there for years and, and drop possibly 40. You look at Sunderland, what happened to them. So Derby County, just another one of them stories that they need to uh, they need to get things right at boardroom level. Yeah, well, I think Derby have taken a chance. Although, then again, Wayne Rooney could have them up there next year. One season to another, there's no, there's absolutely could be any sort of a difference there next year. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Neil, thanks very much. David, thanks Thank very much. Uh, do subscribe to the show. Do leave any comments underneath. And of course, we're on all the social media around. Do have a look out for us. Neil Dobbs always likes to have a little rant on uh, thebigkickoff.com. So do go in there and feel free to comment on everything he does. Okay, <laughs> thanks very much.